The following program contains spoilers. up everybody welcome to midwest movie maniacs i'm your host damian d and i'm heath lambert and today we're going to be discussing wolf creek 2 for those of you that are wondering why wolf creek 2 and not wolf creek that's a simple answer we've already talked about wolf creek if you missed it i made an appearance on heath's other podcast that's so random where we discussed wolf creek so if you'd like to hear our opinions on that movie Head over and check that episode out, then come back and we'll talk to you about Wolf Creek 2. And there's a lot to talk about in this movie. Yeah, I feel like I almost it almost feels like the people who made the Wolf Creek movies traveled forward in time and listened to that episode because a lot of the things that we mentioned in there, because we hadn't watched Wolf Creek 2 at the time, um, sort of manifested themselves in Wolf Creek 2. So it felt Definitely. like we were almost listened to as far as like, Oh, you know, nothing happens for a while. It's a slow burn. Not this one. We get started right away. Yeah. I mean, like, holy shit, does it jump off hardcore? I was expecting something, you know, we see the cops, we see the guy, and I'm like, okay, obviously something's going to happen. But then what does happen is just like, holy shit. And I'm not going to lie, I was kind of rooting for the bad guy in this scenario. Yeah, when it's him versus shitty cops, that's one thing. But then you then you remember that, like, oh, right, he's a serial rapist, so I probably don't want to... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I wasn't on his side the whole time. I definitely wasn't rooting for him later. But in the beginning of the movie, I'm like, these cops, you know, first of all, he's not speeding, but they pull him over and they say that he is. And then the older cops just being a complete asshole to the guy. And I'm like, you know, I, I kind of want to see him take care of these asshole cops. And he does. Yeah, and what a different world Australia must be to us because the cops see the sniper rifle that he has like right behind, like mounted above his seat in this truck and they just look at it and like, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas, yeah. I mean, here it would have been get down on the ground, <laughs> pray that we don't fill you full of holes the second, you know? Yeah, I mean, he simply says he's a, a pig hunter and they're just like, oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, he's got the truck bed toolbox full of meat, like <laughs> just yeah, hot meat. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm assuming he intended to eat that, but I don't know if I would want to eat that shit that was in that hot ass box. Well, and also we see later that's where he's putting meat that is definitely not pig meat. So who knows? I mean, we yeah, don't have any. Yeah. We've been given an indication that he's a cannibal per se, but well, he kind of does in this movie mention when he, I think, when he's talking to the guy, the final boy, whatever you want to call him. He says something along the lines of you fucked up my lunch or you, you made me lose my lunch or something like that. Well, he says play, play my play thing because he was going to take that girl and keep her as a slave or whatever. And she got away. Right. But he met, he makes mention of something that made it sound like maybe he was intending to eat somebody, eat one of them or something. I don't know. It's not ever made in, entirely clear. But either way, he definitely was keeping bloody shit in that box in the back of his truck. Yeah, the cops aren't concerned about that. They aren't concerned about the gun. They're just picking on who they see as, I suppose, a, a hillbilly, you know, or like some kind of redneck. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, he goes by and they check the speed thing and he's not speeding. But he's like, well, he doesn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> so like go pull him over and he's you know mick taylor he's jovial nice to everybody until the second he's not and so it's a little confrontational but he's playing it off and then they drive away and and i'll say this we also said you know about the first one that while it's the violence is pretty brutal it's not a terribly gory movie <laughs> they listen to that too because this movie is over the top gory like oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> and as somebody who has always been a gore hound that was one of my favorite things in the movie when the cops are driving you know what's coming i mean we already seen the first movie we already know he's got that gun and he's good with that gun then you hear the shot and you hear the bullet coming and then the younger cop his head literally just explodes all over inside the car 
And then they showed more shots of it after the fact. And I was just like, yeah, this is definitely ramping up the gore from the first movie. Yeah, just the top half of his head from like the lips up is just gone. <laughs> just missing. Yeah. And it's a pretty yeah, good and then dummy we or see whatever. It, yeah, we see the 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 like the dummy, I guess, laying or kind of leaning and basically the top of his mouth and then like part of his nose is still hanging off of there, which I thought was kind of a like a nice little touch. Like it didn't blow off everything. Like part of his nose is still kind of dangling off above his lip. And then of course the blood is spurting out. And there we go. The movie doesn't really let up from there. It's like you're in for a ride. Older cop freaking out obviously because he did not expect that <laughs> and it crashes the car and it flips down this sort of embankment or whatever and mick pulls up and starts pouring gasoline in the car <laughs> and, stuff. and he says the the cops yelling at him about something and he says because in the first movie he said that's not a knife this is a knife like famous australian movie quote and he has another one here he says that'll do pig which made me laugh like a bog hag like <laughs> just that's pretty good right well, first, when he when he walks up, the cop's gotten out of the car. The cop is crawling away because he, he does the same trick he did in the first movie where he jams the knife into the bottom of his back, into his spine. Yeah, the spine. old uh, the head on a stick trick. Yeah, and then he drags him back and puts him in the car, and the cop is begging for his life, and I'll make the ticket go away, and then Mick says, how about I just make you go away? And then he proceeds to uh, set the car on fire with the not dead but paralyzed cop still inside of it, and they actually... They obviously had more money to spend this time around because as he's walking away, you can see what I'm assuming was a dummy in the car, but it's like writhing in pain like a person would be doing if they were on fire. And it looked pretty good. Yeah, all the it all looked, the gore and stuff is, is pretty good. They definitely had a, a bigger budget for sure. Yeah, I mean, the overall look of the movie even looked more polished, like there was more money being spent this time around. For sure. But it's also, but the first movie had a, a subtlety to it. <laughs> That this movie does not have. Um, <laughs> this movie is not subtle. It's all a bit over the top for me. All said and done, I think I still preferred the first one, even though it was a little yeah. slower. And this has, you know, better gore and all that, but this one starts to get... It's so over the top, it becomes a little silly. And Mick is much sillier. He's much more of a... Like, every line of dialogue he has almost is some kind of joke to himself or some kind of one-liner, you know? Like, yes. Yeah. It's a bit much. Yeah, but I I personally enjoyed the second one more. I thought that it was better. Maybe because of the over-the-top gore and there was more, like, action. Like, the movie was pretty much balls to the wall from the get-go. And, yeah, I thought some of his one-liners were a little cheesy and such a weird contrast, you know, because he's, like, obviously this maniacal serial killer, but then he's, like, joking and being all jovial and happy. And it's, like, to me, it's, it's kind of the same thing from the first movie. It took a little bit away from him being frightening. And I think they were trying to go for the, like, you know, he's a nice, happy guy, but he'll kill you. That makes him scary. But to me, it made him less scary. Yeah, especially since this is supposed to be kind of sort of based on a real person, <laughs> a real killer. Yeah. I mean, they changed the name and stuff. But so right. to make him this, like almost Bugs Bunny-esque kind of Freddy Krueger joke machine is an, an odd, odd decision. Especially since the one of the first um, like logos you see at the beginning is True Crime Australia. Yeah. It's like yeah. a company that made it. Like, well, okay, but this isn't, though. Like, the things you're showing in this movie 100% did not happen. <laughs> like, right. The semi-chase and the killer never killed cops. Like, he just killed backpackers, you know? So they, you've taken true crime to a whole new definition kind of <laughs> yeah sort of true crime probably would have been a better name for the company but so yeah so we have the cop opening so we're like okay so we started with a bang and then it does, it does slow down a little bit and is a little more similar to the first one but not for too long we meet um a pair of german backpackers named roger or no rutger and katarina who are a couple you know they're cute they're sweet you're kind of rooting for them to not <laughs> get murdered but you know they're gonna get murdered yeah. Maybe not quite as uh, quickly as they do, because it pulls a bit of a switcheroo where you think, okay, these are our main characters, but that's not a high enough body count. So, of course, halfway through, it, we switch kind of to somebody else. But Well, she sticks around for a little while. A bit longer, yeah. But it, that's kind of just to lead us to the next, you know, guy, kind of. Yeah, well, they switch it up because they have a final boy instead of a final girl. But obviously, you're thinking the, the German girl is going to be the final girl. And they make it look that way, and then they pull the old switcheroo, 
But I'm kind of glad they didn't have them around very long because I've never been a fan of having to read when I'm watching a movie. Like, I'm not a fan of subtitles because it's like if I wanted to read, I'd pick up a book. I'm watching a movie. I don't want to have to be reading along. So as they were talking and subtitles were coming up, I was just like, oh, can we just kill these people already? We're, we're different people, you and me, but, I, but we get along. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know a lot of people will like subtitles. Um, if the option to watch a movie with uh, dubbing or subtitles is there, I'd take dubbing. And a lot of people are like, what's wrong with you? Dubbing is horrible. And I'm like, I don't want to read. I just I, I get distracted by the reading and I miss what's happening on the screen. I get too focused on reading and then I'm like, oh, shit, I'm not watching what's happening on the screen. And luckily in this movie, while they were talking, they were pretty much just walking or sitting. There wasn't any real action. So it wasn't that bad. But yeah, just not a fan of reading along with a movie. See, now I'm the opposite, where I I have subtitles on everything all the time, even stuff in English, not because I'm, like, hard of hearing or anything, but there's movies I've seen a ton of times that I thought I knew, like, word for word, and then I'm watching the subtitles, and I'm like, oh, like, he said, that's not what I thought he said. All these years, I thought he said this other thing, <laughs> and the subtitles, like, cleared it up, like, you know, it was kind of a mumbly, so, I don't know, I found it, I've found it interesting and helpful to never miss what you know never have to go what did he say and rewind it you know that's just me though yeah I, I will back up and turn subtitles on if i can't understand something i have been known to do that i'll turn it on till i see what the person said and then i'll turn it back off but i don't want them on all the time even if i'm listening to the movie my mind just goes words on the screen read the words and so it distracts me i get it but in any event these these people they uh speak in german subtitled yeah we're following them for a little bit and we see Mick almost pick them up. Like he's going to stop to pick them up and they're running towards him when he stopped. But then he sees another truck kind of turning onto the road. And he's like, oh, no witnesses and takes off. And they're like, this fucking asshole. Like he, he made it look like he was going to pick us up and then he didn't. But really, he's just trying to like not be seen by anybody. And then he's either he must be following them from quite a distance the rest of the day or something because he finds them again at a time and place that I'm like, well, he couldn't have just stumbled upon them. He must have been following them for a while again, like he did the people in the first movie. So Right. But also, I kind of feel like in this area, there probably aren't a lot of roads. So whatever road they were heading down, if he would have just waited a little while and headed down that road, he's inevitably going to find them anyway. Yeah, well, they get to Wolf Creek Crater, like the people did, which is kind of his, I mean, it's where the title comes from. It seems to be a place that he focuses on and it's where they hung out quite a bit in the first movie here they just kind of they go oh that's cool a crater and then move on <laughs> like they didn't spend much time there right. and they keep walking they're like oh we're just gonna keep getting to the next town but then it's like they're getting tired it's nighttime so they sort of go a little off-road and set up their tent um Rutger has a real thing about people like he just expects and maybe it's, it's probably a cultural thing, but any car that passes by, he's like, oh, they'll pick us up. They have to, right? It's like the social contract. And when someone doesn't, he gets very upset. <laughs> he's very angry yeah. when someone doesn't stop to pick them up. And so he's kind of, he's like kind of fuming about a guy who kind of just blew past him and they stop at camp for the night. And uh, Mick pulls like kind of right up to their tent. Like he knew right when it's dark out now. So he couldn't have just been like driving by and saw a tent randomly. He must have been, you know, keeping tabs on them during the day. Probably. I feel like once he sees somebody like he saw the girl and he kind of decided she was the one. So then he just followed until the opportunity came up to grab her. Yeah, it's got to be that or else he has the greatest night vision of all time <laughs> to just be like to spot them. But he pulls kind of right up to their tent. He's flashing their head, his headlights in there. So Rutger goes out to see like, well, you know, who's this? What's the deal? And Mick's feeding them a line about like, you know, he's putting on the friendly face that we know. And he's, you, you know, you guys are out here and you, like, you shouldn't be out here. This is a national park. This isn't public. It's closed at such and such time. And if the rangers catch you, they're going to, like, take you in. So maybe, you know, like, if you guys want to ride to town, I can give you a ride to town. And Rutgers like, no, we're good. We didn't, like, we didn't know that. And so we kind of don't care. We're going to keep camping <laughs> and mind your business, kind of. Like, he never says that. But he's smartly hesitant to just accept a ride from this, this guy he doesn't want to ride around. Yeah, and I think he says something like, we'll get a ride in the morning. And then Mick's like, I'm offering you a ride right now. And he gets a little angry. Yeah, and he's like, like, no, seriously. I'm like, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to save you from getting, like, rousted by the park rangers or whatever. Right. Almost taking it personally. <laughs> you know, they won't come with him. But Mick gets tired of arguing about it and tries to give Rutger the whole 
it looks like he does give him the old head on stick trick because he stabs him in the back and leaves him yeah. kind of just laying in front of the truck and then goes to get Katarina. Well, she comes out of the tent when she hears, like, the struggle. And here, and again, this is, I feel like they listened to the other episode because I said very specifically in the, when we talked about Wolf Creek 1 that it sort of marched right up to a line, you know, like, it talked, like, the sense of sexual violence was in the air and he was certainly threatening it, but it was never, we never had to actually watch it. And we get way, we still don't, but we get way closer this time. And I did not care yeah, for it. I, I thought I thought we were going to see it this time because first he's feeling her up and then he reaches down and he tears her, her panties off through her pants and he's on top of her. And it looked like he was going reaching down. I thought he was going to like mm-hmm. undo his pants. And I'm like, oh, no, this is what we talked about. Like, at least they didn't show anything. And now they're totally going to show something. But we get just about to that point and then he gets stopped. Yeah, it turns out Rugger... He he must have missed with the head on the stick trigger or something because Rutger is able to stand up and walk and like hits him from behind and gets him off of his girlfriend. Right. But yeah, it's like everything that was in the first movie is like ratcheted up to 11. The action, the violence, the pacing, the sexual threats, like everything is cranked up yeah. to where it's, it's a yeah. very, very different movie from the first one as far as, you know, that stuff goes. Yes, because we then get a very graphic, first it's a graphic slit, uh, slitting of the throat. He slices his throat and uh, Rutger and it's you know blood everything it's pretty gory looking then he proceeds to take the knife and just completely behead him and it wasn't like oh you kind of see it and we cut away it's like we pretty much see the whole thing happening yeah, he saws brutal. he saws his head off like it was a ISIS kidnap video like <laughs> it's yeah pretty much I don't know why I, I laughed about that that's a terrible fucking thing I t- <laughs> but you know that's that's what it reminded me of so yeah yeah I've I've had the displeasure of seeing some of those videos I and one. i felt like yeah i've seen a couple of them from various different places where they've been posted without a fair warning um obviously when, when i see what's happening i stop it i don't watch the whole way through after seeing one that's all you need to see but i felt like the people making this movie have also seen at least one of those videos because it looked very similar to what happens in those videos yeah let me tell you a, a little story about how you know, there's something, you know, we're we're all tough guys, right? And we love horror and we can handle anything. But there's some shit you just don't need in your head, you know? And in the early 2000s, I was in the kind of headspace where it's like, I'm, I'm pushing my limits. I'm pushing my extreme. Like, I can, you know, handle anything. And late at night, I watched one of those, you know, oh, Al-Qaeda's got this guy kidnapped and they're going to cut his head off on video, you know? And I watched it with the sound off because it was late at night. And it didn't really bother me. I was like, oh, I mean, that's gross, whatever. And then I made a mistake. I watched it again with the sound on, and that was a whole different ball game. And it still, to this day, haunts me, <laughs> the things I saw and heard. Yeah. So you just don't do it. You don't, yeah. there's no reason to. There's plenty of fictional violence to fill. There's more than you could ever watch. You don't need that, yes. you know. And some people are just way into that stuff, and I don't, and I'm, God bless, good for you. It's not for me, man. I can watch all the fake shit all the time, but I don't know. It was a bad idea, and I wish I, mean, I still to this day wish I had not done that. <laughs> the The bottom line is, if you have had it in your mind that you would like to maybe watch one of those videos, just get your hands on Wolf Creek 2 and watch the beheading scene with Rutger. It's done very well to the point where it looks very much like the real thing, but it's not the real thing. So you can at least take comfort in knowing that you're watching special effects, you're watching latex and fake blood, and you'll see what it looks like without actually having to see it, because it is definitely not a pleasant experience to watch the real thing. Well, and he's way quieter <laughs> in, the, in this movie than the guy in real life was, but well, yeah. which is, that's the disturbing part. But the, you know, you think about the decapitation, you know, you picture in movies, you know, somebody runs up with a sword and whoop, somebody's head flies off. And that's not what decapitation is, <laughs> unless it's like a guillotine, you know? Decapitation is a process. Decapitation takes some elbow grease and some time to get through the, like, to get through the spine and stuff. Like, it takes longer than you were expecting. And this movie, I think, is probably still a little fast, but it's not yeah, yeah. Poop off comes his head he's got to work at it and saw away it <laughs> and we get to watch it so yeah it's a whole thing man yeah but they did a good job they did. i mean the special effects are are on point that i was impressed with how realistic the scene was because it was pretty pretty authentic looking yeah it's well done for sure but again just so it's so so different from the first movie which where everything was kind of subdued and yeah they ramped it up 
big time. He chokes Katarina out, like just puts her in like a sleeper hold and chokes her out. And when she wakes up, she's kind of he kind of wrapped her up in her tent, like to, I guess instead of like tying her up, I don't know. But um, she wakes up to see him. He's pulled the truck up further. He's got the lights on, just on the side of the road, I guess, where somebody could just come along and see this. But he is dismembering Rutger just in the bed of his truck. He's got like a little workstation set up on his truck where he's just like cutting the pieces off and throwing them in that toolbox. And we see very, like a very extreme close up of him specifically cutting Rutger's dick off. Which was, yeah. again, it's so over the top compared to the first one. Yeah, and uh, uh, very unpleasant to watch. I mean, you not wanted, because you, I'm bothered by You wanted gore, they gave dick, it to you. But, yeah, like I don't mind. I don't mind if you show a dick in a movie. That doesn't bother me, but I don't want to think about any dick, specifically my own, being cut off. Uh, luckily, you know, Rutger didn't feel anything. I mean, he didn't have a head. Yeah, he was Clearly beyond he caring. It. But it was still unpleasant. Um, then he made a comment about the size of it and said something, you're a very lucky lady. Or so. He made some reference to it. Yeah, the whole, and, like, and that's part of my sick. issue with this one compared to the first one is the whole time, I'd rather he be like the silent, you know, like the great white hunter who's stalking you. Whereas the, the entire time, every party's cutting off this guy. He's got some pun or some joke like, you know, oh, the way to a man's heart hurts through his stomach. Nope, and he cuts, you know, and pulls his heart out. And he's making jokes about how big his dick is, and he's cutting, he cuts his hands off, and he makes a joke about hand. Like every, he has a fucking joke for everything he's doing, like a running commentary yeah. for no one's benefit but himself. Like Mick thinks Mick is the funniest person alive. <laughs> well, he's just a, a jolly, happy fella. Well, he yeah, he enjoys his work, I guess. <laughs> but so she sort of quietly backs out of the scene and takes off into the woods and he hears her kind of at the last second or looks back and sees that she's gone and he's like oh hide and seek is it so now the chase is on he's chasing her through the woods or not the woods but like you know the shrub brush and desert and stuff and she's on foot he's in a truck so he has an advantage a bit but she gets away from from she like lures him into i don't remember what she, he gets stuck in a fence for a second or something where she gets away from him and makes it to the road where we meet our actual sort of main character yeah. what's his name paul yeah. who's yeah. on the phone with his girlfriend but the phone call like breaks up so it, it's kind of pointless it doesn't really it doesn't come back up I, I was expecting to come up later like he gets a phone call in the heat of the moment or something but it never comes up again so i think the point of it was just so he would be distracted because he's distracted by the phone call and then when he looks up he sees, he sees the girl she's standing in the middle of the street and he almost runs runs her over yes that's a good point and she's, yeah, she's, but, you know, begging on the hood and screaming, you know, help me, help me. And he's like, holy shit, what happened? Like, who did this to you? What happened? Well, come on, we'll get you out of here. And he throws her in the car and they take off. Right. It's a good guy. When when Mick was cutting up Rutger and she was slowly backing away, did you get the sense that she was going to step on like a bear trap or something? Because they kept showing her feet. And I was just waiting for her to back up and step on something like a bear trap or some like sharp stick or something yeah i think it was a, i think it was showing that she almost like stepped on like a branch or something which would have made noise and like alerted it. i think it was more like is she going to make a sound so he catches her but yeah i could yeah, see being worried just, about bear traps with this guy <laughs> yeah i just kept feeling like he had set up like some sort of booby trap because it was too easy for her I and mean, she just woke up got up and slowly backed away and i'm like it can't be this easy there's got to be a bear trap or you know a booby trap of some sort but she actually did get away other than she made a, a noise of some sort when she turned to run and um, he turned around and saw her. Otherwise, I think she might have actually been able to get away, except there was nowhere to go. So I don't know where she was actually going to go other than just to run. But as we find out later with Paul, Paul tried that and, and we'll get to what happens to him. Well, we know from the first movie that Mick's not, despite all of his skills, he's not great at tying people up for some reason because he tied up the girl in the first one and she got out immediately. So yeah. he didn't even bother with this one. He just wrapped her up in her tent, kind of. So, <laughs> but and the cops at the beginning, the cops were talking about how shitty Mick's truck is. They're like, oh, you know, that was his big issue. Wasn't even that they were going to give him a speeding ticket. Was that they told him like you're you're not even allowed to drive this shit pile anymore. Take it back to town and like like you're done driving this truck. And that's when he was like, oh, fuck you guys. But yeah, it can't be that shitty because Paul is driving like a fairly new looking Jeep. And Mick, in his quote-unquote shitty truck, has no problem catching up to and keeping up with this Jeep right, at, right. High, at high speeds. So it can't be his truck can't be that bad. Yeah, and this beat-up truck with bald tires, as the cop said, that they had bald tires, and the truck was all beat up. 
And I'm like, well, that truck's got pretty good traction and it gets around pretty good for being a shitbag truck with bald tires. Yeah, because Paul and Katarina in the Jeep have a, a bit of a head start on him, but he has no problem catching up to him. He's trying to run them off the road. We get a bit of a car chase sequence um, where they're bumping each other and stuff. I mean, once he catches you, he's outweighs, you know, he certainly outweighs the Jeep. He's got the muscle advantage, but just being able to catch and keep up with him is surprising. Right. But, they both kind of stall out. They kind of both go off-road, and Paul's Jeep kind of gets hung up on a tree, and Mick's truck does kind of, like, stall out. Well, he, he runs into something. There's, like, a road close sign. Paul bumps him, and Mick goes to the left of the sign. Paul goes to the right. Paul kind of spins his Jeep and gets stuck, and then Mick, I couldn't tell what it is, but he runs into something. Obviously not too hard, because I think the truck still works after that, but he smacked into something, and then he got out of the truck with the gun. Because Paul was just kind of sitting there taking in everything that had just happened. And then he looked and saw Mick with the gun. And um, he did the only smart thing you could do, which was duck. And Katarina, it out great for so him. Much. Yeah. <laughs> Katarina, yeah, she got the short end of the stick that time around. I don't remember what gun he was holding when he's out in this scene. But if it's the sniper rifle, the beginning, it took half that cop's head off. Yeah. yeah. And here, you can't even tell she's been shot at first. Like, Paul looks over, like, she slumps over, and there's, like, blood on the window, but he's like, what's even going on here? And then he sees, like, a little hole in her cheek, and he turns her head over, and the whole other side of her face is blown out. But earlier it took, I mean, her head should be just mush, <laughs> judging by the first scene, so I don't, I don't know if it was a different gun well, or... I feel like her wound seems like that would be more consistent. Like, I don't know if a sniper rifle is necessarily going to completely blow somebody's head off the way it did for the cop. I feel like the bullet entering into her cheek and then kind of blowing the other side of her face open seems more realistic. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a gun guy, so I don't know. Oh, yeah. And neither am I. But I've, I've played a lot of video games, and in the video games, the sniper rifles don't blow heads off. It just puts a hole in their head and they fall over. So that's all I've got to go on. So, so Katarina is dead, but Paul manages to get the Jeep sort of untangled and escapes and gets away from Mick. And then does what I feel is a very odd thing. Because <laughs> if it were me, look, I understand you don't want to pull up to the cop shop with a body in your car and have to explain right. that situation. But if, I mean, I feel like the cops would tend to believe you if you're giving them the body. You're, you're not trying to hide the body. You're coming to them and saying, this is what happened. Like, if you killed her, why would you come and basically turn yourself in? Right. And also the Jeep shows obvious signs of the back, the the uh, spare tire has been ripped off, the, the sides all smacked up from being hit by the truck. So it's obvious that somebody was trying to run them off the road. And it's obvious that she was shot, you know, through the cheek and the bullet went out the window. So I think there's enough evidence there that they should believe he didn't kill her. You would think, but uh, apparently he's not. Maybe he knows more about Australian cops than we do. And judging by the ones we met in this movie, maybe they can't. Any of them can't be trusted. But he decides, rather than to do that, to just drive her out to the desert and leave her body out there. It's like, a, you know, this sucks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what happened to you. I'm sorry I couldn't save you. But not even, like, under, like, a pile right. of rocks. Just, like, wrapped up in a blanket just out in the desert where, you know, animals are going to come and eat her. Well, that's the thing. He wrapped her up in what, what appeared to be his sleeping bag. And I'm thinking, yeah, now wouldn't I'm they have, like, dna and shit on that sleeping bag to be able to trace it back to him yeah i feel like you've made it way worse for yourself than just going and turning yourself in and answering questions and giving them this body now you have deposited her in the desert right. inside your property <laughs> he smashes out because yep. the window's like all like shattered from the bullet so he smashes it the rest of the way out as if that like that's not helping the crime scene that's making it worse because now you're leaving the glass from your window where her body is so, like, he's making it way worse for himself, and I, I'm confused as to what his train of thought was here. I don't know. Probably not thinking very good. Yeah, I he's feel like traumatized. In that scenario, and... think, yeah, thinking straight probably doesn't come too easily in that situation. Yeah, that could be. So it seems like he got away, and then out yeah. of nowhere, Mick has commandeered a semi-truck. <laughs> <laughs> Which, well, the driver's body is still, like, in the passenger seat, you know, because he, like, makes a joke to the driver who's dead. And then we get a long, yeah, extended Mad Max-esque car chase where he's trying to catch the Jeep in this semi. And then, and this is crazy stuff. Like, this is so far from anything in the first movie, the subtlety of the first movie. This is like, this is some Michael Bay shit. Like, this flock of <laughs> kangaroos. I don't know which it, it's a murder of crows. What's a group of kangaroos? I don't know. I'll just say a flock. A bunch of kangaroos uh, come across the highway at just right that second. 
and they're bouncing off of the Jeep and flying back under the tires of the semi. We get one, we get a shot. We get two different shots of the same. Like we see one kangaroo go under the, all the semi's wheels from the front, and then we watch it again from the back of the truck. All these CGI kangaroos just getting splattered all over. And it's just, it's wild, and it's it feels so different from the first movie. Yeah. And me being me, all the gore and bombing people didn't bother me. But as he was running over multiple kangaroos, I'm like, why? Why do we need to see all these poor kangaroos getting run over? Even though I know they were CGI, it was just like, these poor kangaroos, you're just running them over, running them over. I don't know. It didn't bother me to the point where I was like, I can't watch the movie. But I was bothered just by, like, I didn't really see the point. Like, I got when, the, when they started running across the street and Paul was like, basically, oh, shit. And then one hits the Jeep and flies up in the air and hits the truck. That would have been enough. After that, it just felt like they were just trying to throw in extra gore. Like, let's just get a bunch of squished, bloody kangaroos and throw them in here. Yeah, because he winds up taking out like seven or eight kangaroos <laughs> before we're done. Yeah. It's a lot. And he even says like, because when the first one bounces off the Jeep and then sort of hits the front of his grill, he's like, flying kangaroo. He's like yelling to himself, enjoy. Like, yeah, it's, it's so silly. Like, there's a silliness to it. that. Yeah. And he seems to be enjoying it as he's running them over. Like, he seems to be having fun with it. So I don't know. Maybe he just hates kangaroos. I don't live in Australia, so maybe they're a menace. Maybe maybe there's a reason. Because I know here, deer are a definite menace. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily hate them. But after having more than one run in with a deer in my car, when I see a deer on the side of the road, I'm like, yep, sucks to be you, buddy. Yeah, I am that here too. (laughs) I, I mean, I've had a couple of cars totaled by deer, so I don't really... I don't really feel bad. Like if I see a deer on the side of the road, it's like, well, shouldn't have ran out in front of that car or truck. So maybe it's the same thing with kangaroos in Australia. Maybe they're just such a menace that people are just like, eh, whatever. Paul winds up almost getting away sort of again. And he's laughing. And much like they were in the first movie, he's laughing. He laugh- he's laughing too soon. He's celebrating a little too soon because he feels like he thinks he got away or something. But then he winds up skidding into like a guardrail and... Yeah. Mick comes up in the semi and just like gently pushes him off <laughs> off this cliff rather than like ramming him at top speed or something. You just kind of boop, I push you off. Yeah. The car isn't flipping and rolling, but it's it's a very steep hill that he is going down very quickly <laughs> in a dangerous, yeah. dangerous fashion. He winds up getting to the bottom and the car is like crashed, but he survives that. He gets out or maybe that's when he's laughing. Yeah, he gets out. And he's looking up at the top of the hill and he doesn't see Mick. But then he yells, you're going to have to try harder than that. And I'm like, you're a little too cocky here, buddy. And then Mick does something that, again, is so over the top. He has apparently figured out how to aim perfectly this semi to come rolling down this hill without him steering. (laughs) So he's just like put it neutral or whatever. And it's just going to roll down this hill and to the exact spot to where it's going to land exactly on Paul's car, (laughs) which... Feels a little, I don't know about that. As bumpy as it is, like it should like, you know, veer left or veer right or take a bounce or a hop one way or the other and not land exactly in the same spot. To be fair, it did almost miss the car. It (laughs) kind of clips the back end of the Jeep and then everything explodes. It wasn't like a straight T-bone. It kind of clips the back end. But then in a, you know, very realistic fashion, everything explodes, which I'm like, I'm pretty sure if a semi hits the back end of a Jeep, it's not going to just explode. That's not how things work. But again, we went from this sort of quiet little movie where a guy kidnaps three people and keeps them in a shack to like semis flying off of mountains and blowing up into other cars. Like it becomes a Fast and Furious movie all of a sudden. Yeah, well, they had more money. So they're like, we got the money. Let's do some cool shit. Because while it might be unrealistic to think that it would happen, you can't deny that it was cool to watch it happen. Mick, who, you know, like I said, in the first one was very sneaky and crafty and stealthy and subtle. And even at the beginning of this movie, this is the guy who wouldn't pick up two backpackers because there was another vehicle within sight of him. Right. That guy who was so careful and so not wanting to be on anyone's radar is now stealing semis, driving them crazy down the road, running over kangaroos and driving a semi off a cliff. You know, <laughs> like his sense of uh, sneakiness has kind of gone out the window a little bit. Right. And the thing that I thought of is after this happens, obviously, Paul gets away. He, he's not in the Jeep when he gets hit. And then we get the extended scene of him, you know, walking, stumbling through the desert. But then the whole time I'm thinking, what about Mick? Because Mick crashed the semi that he was driving. So wouldn't he also be stumbling through the desert? 
even if he was walking down the road, I mean, his truck wasn't anywhere to be found. They drove quite a ways before all this crashing happened. So it's like, how the hell did Mick get back to his truck or wherever he ended up going before the next time we see him? I mean, maybe he was prepared with like jugs of water attached to his belt that we just didn't see or something. Well, he's like cool survival man who wasn't just in a car accident. So Paul's a little messed up. <laughs> True. Yeah, but so Paul wanders for a little bit. Because I think, if I remember right, he looks up the hill and sees Mick standing there looking down at him like, it's just a matter of time. Like, I'm stalking you now. And he, but we don't see him for a while. He was wandering through the desert. He comes across a house. And there's just an old couple that lives there who are nice. And they, well, he like passes out. And he wakes up. He leans up against their door and passes out. And then they open the door and he comes flopping in, which I thought was kind of interesting. He didn't knock. He just kind of collapses up against the door. Like he's just going to go to sleep. And I thought for sure when the door opened, I thought for sure it was Mick because we get the scene where he's like being carried through the hallway or whatever. But then it turns out that it's this older couple that were helping him. They're actually were good people. Yeah, like a good, you know, that's this poor lost boy in the desert has shown up on their doorstep. So he wakes up in this bed with at least with his shirt off. I don't remember his pants were off too, but they so they took his clothes off and put him in bed. You know, they probably checked him for wounds or whatever, but he wakes up confused as to why he's in this house, puts his clothes on, wanders downstairs, and there's just this old couple sitting at the table like, you know, oh, hey, come eat with us or have tea or whatever. And I thought for sure this was like, these were like friends of Mick's or something that he just happened to wander, you know, because Mick knows yeah. everybody and they're going to turn him over to Mick or something because Mick shows up outside and is like yelling from outside, like, send out the boy. I don't want any trouble with you. And he's, Paul's like, oh, no, that's the guy you can't send me out. And I thought for sure the couple was going to be like, oh, no, that's our friend Mick and come let him in. But that's yeah. not, that's not what happens. The old guy's like, I'll take care of this. I got a shotgun. He takes a shotgun and goes outside and is kind of pointing it at Mick and is like, you got no business here. Go away. And Mick's like, I just, you know, like, I just want that boy. You think about what is happening here. And, uh, but he shoots a shotgun like next to him at this thing on the gate or whatever to sort of scare him off. And Mick's like, all right, I guess I'll go. Sorry to bother you. <laughs> but not really, obviously, because <laughs> they go back yeah. in the house and yeah, Mick just comes in the house and guns this old couple down. Like, he shoots the old man and then shoots the old lady as he's trying to run out the front door, follows her out onto the porch, shoots her again. Well, the old guy says the cars around the outside will all go together, and he goes to grab more bullets. And then he realizes that his gun case is open, and he sees the sniper rifle up against the wall. And then that's when the gun, Mick puts the gun right up to the back of his head. And then they didn't show us that one. We didn't get any gore on that scene. We just hear the shot. And the wife comes in and sees blood pooling out all over the floor. And she takes off running. And then he shoots her in the back as she's running out the door. And then Paul does something that I didn't quite understand. Because the old guy said the car is right around the side of the house or whatever. But he takes off and just goes running into the desert. And I'm like, why didn't you grab the keys and go jump in the car and get the fuck out of there? Yeah, that would have been smart. There's also yeah, a lot steady. of music in this movie. The first one didn't have anything. Maybe there's like a song playing at the going away party or something. But there's a lot of like soundtrack to this movie. Like while well, they're shooting the old people, the Blue Danube Waltz is playing. Like they really shelled out some money to like buy licensing rights to the music and stuff. There's a bunch of songs right, I, during the course of the movie. I think all the music is in the movie though. Like when um, Mick is driving and the lion sleeps tonight, it's on the radio. He's listening to it. And then I think the old people had the music playing in their house. It could be. So it's like the soundtrack is all music that's actually in the movie itself. It's not like playing over the scene. That's what do they call it? Diegetic? Is that what that's called? Or is it the opposite yeah. of that? Is diegetic I when think, it's part of the world yeah, of the movie? So. Okay. I always get those mixed up. That sounds right anyway. I mean, it definitely makes the scene a little bit kind of bizarre. You know, this music is playing while these people are being killed and it's like, it basically plays as a soundtrack to their murder, but I didn't mind it. It almost feels like an episode of Hannibal or something where you know, like, he's <laughs> listening to classical music while he's doing stuff. Yeah. Paul has run off in the desert instead of jumping in this car. And so now we get Mick on horseback, which I was not expecting to see. Um, <laughs> I wasn't expecting to see him drive a semi off a cliff either, but... Paul's running through the desert, and Mick comes flying up on this horse that he stole from the old people, and he's hitting him with a bullwhip. Like, <laughs> just, this guy's having a grand old day of getting to do all yeah. kinds of fun stuff. So, Paul wakes up, he's tied to a chair, and Mick's, this isn't the same location from the first movie. It's some, this is some kind of weird underground bunker tunnels thing that he has going on. Yeah, I feel like Mick has multiple locations where he, like, hangs out. 
because in the first one he kind of indicated that he moves from deserted town to deserted town and probably has like little temporary homes set up in all of them so he can just go to the nearest one when he grabs somebody and kind of the rest of the movie i mean the last 20 30 minutes it's kind it's kind of just becomes torture porn it kind of just becomes an, like hostile or something which yeah that's not the movie i came for i guess because <laughs> the first one wasn't that really and the rest of this one yeah. hasn't been that really there was a little bit of torture porny feeling in the first one towards the end when he had the girl tied up this this kind of felt similar to that you know this time it was the boy tied up first time he had a girl tied up the first time well no never mind i was gonna say the first time he indicated he was gonna rape the girl but he also indicated that about the guy yeah Mick, because he said and this one mick doesn't you, seem you particularly rape. picky <laughs> Yeah, because he, he makes comments about he was going to have fun with the girl, but basically Paul fucked it up, so he, you're going to have to take her place. And he holds up that little woman's tank top looking shirt. Yeah, he's so got like, a, like a sundress for him or something. But and, which, and we don't know if he's just kidding around to fuck with Paul or if he seriously would dress Paul up in a dress and have his way with him. I don't know. It could go either way I with mean, this guy. Honestly, with all the shit he's done in this movie, I would totally believe it if he was going to actually dress him up and have his way with him. But then again, clearly... when he does that, Paul calls him the F slur, homophobic right. slur, and Mick does not appreciate that. Like, that's the closest, right. like, he almost kills him right then because he he's like, you don't ever say that about me. I'm not, That's not what I am. So... It makes me wonder, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different interpretations that either it's he would never do that. And he was just messing with Paul. And he's, you know, because he's all right. man, right? He's, you know, the very thought but of it is appalling. Also... Or or is he more of, you know, or he could be a closeted, you know, so like he's going to do this, but it's he hates it or you know, who knows. Yeah, there there definitely are guys that will do that kind of stuff, but then they'll like they'll deny homosexuality it's like you're you're raping another man but you're denying that it's happening because i i maybe in the in his mind if he puts a dress on him then he's not a man anymore who knows luckily we don't get that far he, he doesn't go through with it so we don't know if he ever was going to or not because paul kind of talks his way out of things briefly well yeah and he says like with this knife i could make you a woman yeah. <laughs> like okay come on mick bring it down a notch buddy <laughs> But he's going to cut Paul's tongue off for saying that. And but this scene goes on for so long. This is almost like the beginning of the first one where it takes a while for anything to happen. Like this, the ending of this movie felt like it dragged on to me. But he starts saying limericks and it takes Mick so out of his, like he was not expecting that. And he's like, okay, hold on. This is interesting now. I'm going to sit down and what's going on here? Yeah. And he just keeps reciting these limericks and he's like, hmm, where did you hear that? And then he starts singing Timey Kangaroo Downsport because Paul is, I think, British. Right. Which Mick also has a real problem with British people. Right. Well, and he seemed to, I, I forgot to mention back when he was kind of back with Katarina Rutger, when he was pawing at Katarina, he, he seems, the, his motives in the first one kind of just seem to be that he's just a murderous lunatic, you know? But he really right. seems to have, in this one, they really go out of their way to accentuate the fact that he hates tourists. <laughs> like, that's why not only are they easy targets of opportunity for a killer like this, but he really, really hates them. He's always like, God, you just come to my country and you just shit all over it and then you leave. Yeah. You know, like he has a real issue with <laughs> outsiders coming to Australia and backpacking around. So that's part of his whole deal, too. Right. But. The uh, timey kangaroo down gimmick kind of works because Mick starts singing along, which, I mean, if you hear that song, it's kind of hard to not join in and sing along. It, it, it's a fun song. And it, it kind of looks like maybe things are going to turn around because Mick starts laughing and they're kind of laughing and joking with each other. And he offers them a drink. Or Actually, I think Paul says, like, can I get a fucking drink? Or like he makes some kind of a comment and then Mick gets him a drink and it's almost... Like they're becoming buddies. It's almost like mix, you know, maybe mix thinking, hey, this guy's not so bad after all. Maybe I'm not going to kill him. But if you're Paul in this situation, after everything you've just gone through, this man drove a semi off of a cliff to get to you. Do you really think you're going to be able to talk him out of killing you because you know an Australian song? Like you're buying yourself a couple minutes, but if you seriously think he's going to let you go, come on, man. That's not happening. Yeah. You've got to be smarter than that. And he kind of is. Yeah, because he's eyeballing the hammer. There's a hammer sitting by him and he keeps looking at the hammer. So clearly he's thinking of a, an escape plan. He's trying to work out something he can do to get away. But then Mick offers up the game. that He's going to ask him a series of questions. And if he answers the questions correctly, 
he'll let him go. And they're all questions about Australia. And Paul agrees to play along. And then uh, Mick gets up and grabs a saw or a grinder. He has a grinder because he says, what's that for? And Mick says, oh, everyone you get wrong, I'm going to grind off one of your fingers. And then that's when you're like, oh, shit, they're not buddies after all. This is all just some sick, twisted game. Now, yeah, this is where it gets real torture porny because it's, yeah, so I'm going to ask you 10 questions. You've got 10 fingers and you have 10 chances. If you get five of them right, I will let you go, which right, don't believe that first off. But so, you know, but for everyone you get wrong, I'm going to grind one of your fingers off. <laughs> and what Mick doesn't know, Mick's actually kind of bit off more than he can chew. Paul is smarter than he expects because it turns out Paul like studied Australian history in college or something because he starts asking yeah. questions he thinks he won't know. And not only can he answer them, but he like can recite a whole like, you know, he's like, oh, when did the first ship of British, you know, uh, when the British sent their convicts here to Australia, you know, when when was that? And he he goes off with like, oh, here's the name of the ship and here's the day they left and here's the day they landed. And it was this many people. And Mick's like, OK, wow. <laughs> that's i was you're you're cooler than i thought i guess maybe right and he gets two or three of them right but then mick kind of cheats because he asks him some question he's like who's the best footballer or whatever or cricketer whatever like a crick, cricket player from australia but that's a matter of opinion not a matter of fact right. you know usually something yeah. like that so paul answers and he's like nope that's not it it's this other guy and he's like what are you talking about it's obviously that guy and he's like no it's not that fucking guy it's this guy you know so he gets to grind off one of his fingers yeah which yeah that would hurt a lot <laughs> that would hurt considerably oh. more than just chopping it off oh i can only imagine but then yeah paul's still smart because he's like the next one he gets wrong he goes to cut another finger out and he says no no can you when he gave him the drink, he's like, I can't even hold this drink. Can you untie, like, one of my hands from the chair? So Mick does. Right. But Mick is so confident. He's not thinking this guy's going to get away no matter what I do. So he goes to grind off one of his fingers on the same hand. And he's like, no, 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 please, like, do the other hand, please. Like, this hand's had enough right now. <laughs> Can you? So he, which I don't, I'd almost rather lose two fingers on one hand than one finger on two hands. Yeah. Or is that just me? Maybe it would be worse. I don't know. Mm, I think I would rather have one complete hand. But the first hand he does is his right hand. And being right-handed, I think maybe I would opt to get a finger off my left hand, the second finger, because if you take off two fingers from your dominant hand, it's going to make shit a lot harder. You have to learn how to do everything with your left hand. So, like, maybe he's a righty, and he was just like, dude, I need most of those fingers over there, so take one off my left hand. I won't miss it as much. Well, and also his left hand is closer to the little table where the hammer is, rather, so he wouldn't have to reach across himself to get to it. So that's part of his plan, kind of, too. Which is what wind up happening. Mick leaves. Mick keeps walking off and leaving him alone in his room to go get more. Like, just bring the bottle with you. But he goes to get more another drink to fill the glasses or whatever. And Paul gets this hammer and is kind of hiding him behind his back. And Mick comes in and is like, okay, like, the game's over. I'm going to kill you now. Like, you, you had to know I wasn't going to let you go. That's ridiculous. And right. gets Mick in the head with the hammer. Gets free and he's running through this, yeah, this subterranean. He's running into rooms full of, like... Like, in the first movie, he had, like, the corpse pit full of, like, old skeletons and newly sort of rotting bodies. He's got the same thing here, but they're just, like, lining the hallway. There's just people just lined, just tied up to poles in the hallway. Right. In yeah. varying states get, of decay. We get what I believe is the only actual jump scare in either one of these movies when the, the woman out of nowhere just screams in his face. Yeah, a woman Very... that looks like she's, I mean, decomposed. You assume she's dead because she looks partially decomposed, but she, like the like the uh, the sloth victim in Seven, <laughs> where it's tied to the bed and they, you know, that, they bolts up. Oh, God, this one's alive. It's that kind of deal. Right. Yes. And she screams, get me out of here, help me. And he's like, oh, shit, okay, I will. Dude, look, look at her, man. You can't help her. <laughs> you just gotta go. I know, like, the gallantry, I understand, but realistically... Right. You could take this girl to a hospital. She's never going to... Let me look at her. She looks like a goddamn zombie. Like, she's not... There's no coming back from where she's at, so... Yeah. And she's just going to slow you down. Mick also has a... So this must be like... He must have... Yeah, he must have these permanent sort of depots or whatever where he's doing this all over because he has, like... He's made an ornament out of, like, a skeleton with Christmas lights on it and stuff, which is yeah. pretty extra. Like, I want to see his Etsy page, you know? <laughs> What's his Pinterest look like, this guy? But he comes, so Paul's running around, he comes to like a dead end, and we see, and the whole time is Mick is just, yeah, like calling out to him, making jokes, you know, I'm you know, I'm coming to get you, and this, all that. 
giving away his position. And he just Mick will not shut up. This guy. Yeah. Talks <laughs> nonstop. He loves the sound of his own voice. Yep. And he's just confident. Like he, he knows Paul's not going to get away. So he's just making his jokes and just kind of casually walking down the hallway. Like, yeah, whatever. Run, kid. You're not going to go anywhere. Yeah. So Paul's kind of stuck in this dead end for a second. And we in the first movie, there was when, is it Ben? Ben woke up and that nailed to that. There was a big dog cage with a dog in it. And we never really did anything with that. But in here, he's got these two dogs that he had mentioned that he was going to feed Rutger to them, I guess, earlier. Um, and he sets yeah. them loose to chase Ben down in these tunnels. One of them gets, because <laughs> he gets to, he sees where there's light coming down like a stairway at the end of this hall or this tunnel. And he's like, oh, that's the way out. But as he approaches it, he realizes that there's like punji sticks. The old Vietnamese like pit trap full of bamboo stakes. When you step on it, you yeah. fall in. So he kind of has to go around that. And there's also a bamboo gate that goes up and down to block this off. And one of these dogs gets the Rancor treatment like from Return of the Jedi because it's running at him and he shuts this gate and the bamboo gate comes down and slams down on this dog and like punches through its head and like and the other dog's like oh shit and goes back down the hallway. <laughs> so he thinks he's gonna set a trap, Paul does, for Mick because he's sort of hiding around this corner. He knows the bamboo stakes thing are there. He's waiting for somebody to come around this corner, assuming it's Mick, and he's going to push him into the bamboo stakes and then make his escape. Yeah, because he, he sees a shadow on the wall, so he knows he's coming around the corner, so he's hiding, waiting for him. So a figure comes around the corner, he jumps up, he pushes them in, but it's not Mick. Mick has let that the one girl, the zombie-looking girl who's alive, he's let her loose and sent her down the hallway. So Paul has pushed her into the pit trap, and she's all impaled on stuff. And then he turns around and Mick's, of course, right behind him and grabs him. Yep. And so we assume, oh, now he's going to kill this guy. But just like in the first movie, well, in the first movie, Ben just got away. In this one, he lets Paul loot, or Ben was the first one. Paul is this one. He just, like, yeah. drops Paul. Paul wakes up in, like, the middle of, like, in the city, just, like, covered in blood, in his underwear. <laughs> like, and the cops are coming up, like, hey, buddy, what's going on with you? Like, what's your deal? Are you, like, hi, why are you sleeping covered with blood? But he left a note on him that says loser. <laughs> but then we get, this is the same, again, it's based on a true crime where there was one guy who almost got attacked and he got away and he wound up being a vital witness that led the police to the right guy that they caught, you know. We already did yeah. that at the end of the first movie. They already did that with Ben, where they said, you know, oh, Ben was questioned because they thought maybe he killed the girls, but the police wound up letting him go. And it's kind of the same ending for this one. Like, you can't take a real-life event that happened and then do it in two different movies with two different characters. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah, because we get the ending that says he was a suspect, but then he ended up basically, like, he went crazy. Yeah, he, could, he, was, he got committed. Yeah, he was institutionalized, and they say he's still there, that he's, he's basically never going to get be back out on the streets yeah which yeah. did not happen in the, in the real case i mean no, obviously most of this didn't happen but it's just so weird to me to, to call this based on a true thing when it's, it's so very not kind of so yeah and then the movie ends we see mick we see mick walking off into the sunset and then that's when the credits roll so basically the movie ends with the standard sequel ending where it's like yeah he's not dead He's still very much alive, and he's walking off, you know, we only assume, to go look for his next victim. Which we have, there's two seasons of a Wolf Creek TV show, and there's a one more Wolf Creek movie uh, in pre-production right now that they already have, like, a poster for that I saw. So he's still out there. <laughs> but they're really spacing them out, because the first movie was, like, 2008, this one's 2013, and then the third one's going to be... 2022 or 2023 like 10 years later it's yeah, interesting yeah. that they the sequels are so far apart and then there was the show somewhere in there between after two and this new one but yeah and if the third one has mick which i assume it's going to he's going to be uh, a bit older yeah he looked 10 good. years later yeah it was eight years between the first and second he looks the same and he's he's also in the playing playing mick taylor in the tv show too so he's just this is just his thing now he just plays this guy yeah. good for him well, I'm definitely interested in seeing where they go with the third one, because it's like, are they going to ramp it up even more? Are they going to go even further over the top with the gore and the action and the antics? Or are they going to dial it back and go back towards you know more of the feel of the original movie? Yeah, that will be interesting to see, because whereas this one, 
is directed by the same guy who directed the first one. This new one that's coming out, he's producing it, but it's written and directed by different people who didn't work on the first two. So, so it's almost more like a, it's not a reboot per se, probably, but you know, a fresh take on it. So yeah, it would be interesting. It'll be interesting to see which direction it goes. I'm betting they kind of harken back to the first one and try to bring it back down a notch from how crazy this one is. Yeah, or maybe we'll get something closer to the actual story this time around. Maybe we'll get the real version of what actually happened instead maybe. of this crazy over-the-top version. But I think I think if you were going to do that, you wouldn't call it Wolf Creek 3. You would just call it Wolf Creek, you know, like it would be like a reboot, a whole new... I don't know. True. I feel like if you're calling it Wolf Creek 3, it's like we're continuing from the thing with the semi and the kangaroo. So... True, but they could always say that the first two were like prequels to the actual events, and the third one's going to tell you the story that the media covered, the the last person, right. and because he hasn't been caught yet, and in real life he got he was caught, so they might be wrapping up the story by giving us the more true to life events, complete with the guy being able to identify him, and he gets caught. But um, obviously, the real story. I think after what they've done with the first two movies, the real story would be a bit boring. So they're still going to have to ramp it up. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> you've already sensationalized it to a degree that you couldn't yeah. just do a... Oh, we'll see. I'm, I'm definitely interested. I will definitely watch it when it comes out. I'm invested in the Wolf Creek <laughs> thing now. So well, Yeah, we've uh, reviewed the first two. So I'm sure we'll review that one whenever it comes along. I would be interested in watching the TV show, but I don't know... Like we might maybe do a special episode where we just talk about the show in general. Yeah, I was looking to see what? if it was streaming anywhere, and I don't believe it was. Well, I'll see if, if I can find it somewhere, if we can get a hold of it somehow. If not, then we won't talk about it. Because, yeah, I would, I would be whether I mean, even if we didn't talk about it, I'd be interested in watching it just to see. Because yeah. I would think a TV show can't be, like, as crazy as this movie was um depends on what uh network or streaming service it was on well i think it was an australian show okay so season two is on shutter season one is not that's weird yeah i hate that i'm not watching season two by itself yeah i hate when they do that shit oh well maybe i'll keep an eye out for it if it shows up somewhere but without further ado let's get to the corn cob ratings on wolf creek 2 and I'm going to start things off by saying I don't remember what, uh, like, well, I guess technically we didn't give a rating on the first one because we did it on your podcast and you don't do ratings. So I can give this one whatever I want and it won't matter because I personally, uh, I enjoyed this one more than the first one and I liked the first one. So it wasn't, it wouldn't have got a low rating from me anyway, but I'm going to say for me, I think I would give this one mm, seven seven corn cobs because i thought it was enjoyable it was a bit over the top but i had fun watching it it kept my interest i didn't want the movie to end like sometimes you watch a movie and you're just waiting for the credits because you just want it to be over and this one i mean with watching it on tubi and having to deal with commercials it was about two hours long but it didn't feel like two hours so i think uh seven i'm gonna give it a seven okay um let me think because I definitely want to compare it to the first one. And yeah, we didn't give the first one a rating per se. So hmm. I think I would put it because there's things about the second one I like more than the first one. And there's things about this one I don't like as much as the first, you know, some of the over the top stuff. I got, you know, I kind of like the subtlety and quietness of the first one. But this one does have really good gore and really good. So I, I think it comes out in the wash. I think they're kind of just tied. So I would give both Wolf Creeks six corn cobs out of ten i think okay all right i would have i would have probably given the first one six and a half because i do think that yeah they're i'm not they're not exactly tied i did enjoy the second one a little bit more but i did like the first one quite a bit so i would say six and a half for wolf creek and seven for wolf creek two uh you gave them both a six so we'll cut it right down the middle and we'll say about a six and a half is our joint rating for both movies fair and so, yeah, if you want to know what we thought about the first one and you haven't gone back and listened, go check it out on That So Random. It's another podcast. And yes, I'm advertising somebody else's podcast, but that's only because that somebody else is my co-host and I'm just giving him a shout out because it's a good podcast. Not going to lie. I haven't listened to all the episodes, but I've listened to quite a few. It's fun. He has different guests on there every week. One of them was me. That's clearly the best episode. And yeah, check it out. 
And then you, know, you can find us online at Maniacs Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And any other links that you need to find, just look in the show description. There's a link tree link, and it'll take you to the link tree page, which will take you wherever you need to go to find us. But, you know, Instagram and Twitter is pretty much where it's at. So check it out there. That being said, we don't usually talk about what movie we're going to do next. And I'm not going to do that, but I am going to tell you that we do have a special episode that's going to be coming out within the next couple of days. And um, you're definitely going to want to check that out because we're going to be talking about a movie that a lot of people have been talking about. And um, yeah, just stay tuned. It's, uh, it's a new movie that just came out. A divisive movie. Yes, yes, very much so. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, but the title of the movie does contain the name of a state and a specific <laughs> type of tool or weapon. And uh, if you can figure it out from that, good job. If not, just wait a couple of days and it'll be it'll be out there and you, you can find it. And you can check it out. That's coming up in a couple of days. For now, we're going to wrap this episode up. So uh, until next time, I'm just going to say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Me if you can. <laughs>